Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover. I am Vlad and this episode's guest is Igor Artamonov or Artamono, who used to be the lead developer of ETC Dev and is a person who is very much involved in development and the research involved in blockchains. And it's interesting that it was under his lead that a project, an altcoin like Ethereum Classic, ended up getting or learning as many lessons from Bitcoin as it was possible. And as you can see today, ETC ended up having a fixed supply, just like Bitcoin. It started having a different mining reward, just like Bitcoin. And to some extent, it's interesting to see how a project which started as something else ended up getting as close as possible as respecting the ideas of immutability and uh, decentralization. So I'm really happy to have you, Igor, and I'm looking forward to hearing more responses for you on the topic. Yeah, yeah, Pilot, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for nice words about my work on EDC. Yeah, I, I'll be happy to answer all, all the questions. So yeah, let's, let's start. So usually when I speak to ETC people, they say that they are also Bitcoiners and they like the values of Bitcoin, but see ETC as more of an extension, which allows for smart contracts and Turing complete functions. So what do you say are the similarities between ETC and Bitcoin both in terms of protocol and in terms of community? Um, yeah, that's a good question. And so there's two parts, actually, as you say, the community and technology. I wouldn't agree that community is actually have some, I don't know, many people from Bitcoin. Um, I think it's separate community. Uh, it's not Bitcoin people. There, we have more Ethereum uh, people than Bitcoin people because uh, it's not about money. It's, it's, it's about smart contracts, uh, decentralized applications, and so on. But from technology perspective, uh, speaking about blockchain itself and uh, why we use blockchain, we have a lot of similarities on this level. Uh, so, so we more close to Bitcoin uh, vision about immutability, decentralization, and so on, uh, rather than uh, ETH view uh, on technology side. And that's how the uh, initial community of ETC uh, was formed. So basically, we disagreed uh, with uh, Ethereum Foundation decision on bailout, on hard fork, transaction reversal because we believe in immutability and community just followed the original chain at that moment and, and here we are, we have Ethereum Classic. Yeah, while we were having the preliminary discussion prior to this interview, you told me that you research blockchains and since this is a Bitcoin specific show, you said that Bitcoin is in a very privileged position as opposed to other projects. And what do you think are the advantages that Bitcoin has right now over other projects? Um, yeah, so you mean my, my talk, my articles about decentralization. And I, I think that uh, we 
all blockchains are far from being fully decentralized, but Bitcoin is the most close. And uh, it's because of uh, many aspects. Uh, so I was speaking about uh, different factors, such, such as foundation, uh, single team, uh, and concentration of uh, development, uh, mining, and everything. So Bitcoin is much better today than any other. And I think it's, yeah, first of all, it's historically, it happened this way uh, because they have a long time to develop technology and they, nobody thought basically about any centralization at that moment. It was just some ideas, implementation, some ideas. And uh, others tried to, to make it much faster and to make it faster, you, you need some concentration of power of decision-making process. Uh, so all other blockchains are realized just because they want to compete with uh, Bitcoin. But the main, uh, main decentralization uh, vehicle of Bitcoin, I think, is, uh, is community. is different opinions, uh, different uh, views in, in community and all this. You know, fights uh, is actually good for Bitcoin. I mean, uh, well, people say it's a community, so it's toxic, which I disagree. Uh, it's it just you know uh, nobody has enough power to make a decision. So that and people are looking for best decision. If everyone would agree on the same decision, we don't need blockchain at all. That's the whole point of blockchain that it will work even if you hate each other. You can you can transfer uh, bitcoins between you and your worst enemy, and yeah, it will work in the same way as if you friends. Uh, so if you already agree on everything, uh, why don't you use I don't know, bank transfer or PayPal or anything else? So that's the whole point of uh, blockchain to, uh, to fight. And so uh, they build, um, it, it led to this community that uh, disagrees with everything uh, and uh, community fights to any changes that can can break something or uh, damage in some way uh, Bitcoin. Uh, so they try to protect this in I don't know, different principles, including immutability and decentralization and so on. We don't see anything like that in other uh, blockchains. Uh, when Ethereum Classic started, actually, we had a similar community. Uh, we had a lot of, you know, hearing debates about everything. Um, so I believed that it will be a second blockchain, decentralized blockchain with community that makes final decision. And communities, you know, with some um, broad, some, some just some people, so you can't control it. Uh, and with community is a final decision maker, it makes blockchain decentralized, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one other argument that I heard about Bitcoin superiority is that the enthusiasts were there even when it was worth nothing. They were developing for it, they were creating wallets, and they were trying to make sense out of it. In a mm -hmm. time when there was no VC funding, there was no way to actually 
see the potential of this. It wasn't so obvious that it was actually digital gold. There was no ideology constructed around it. It was just people who were technical and they were trying to figure out what they can make out of this invention of Satoshi. And that's why it's unique and it's going to have people who work for it regardless of the price action. Whereas in the case of other altcoins, which seemed promising in the beginning and they received a lot of money, you can see how the interest diminishes as the price goes down. And that's not something that really happens in Bitcoin development. It's there no matter what. And I guess the fact that some companies which do centralize maybe the development, like Blockstream, when they release the satellite and they try to open source everything and encourage young developers to enter the space by reviewing the code or by forking the applications into something that they can find useful. That's something that's unique to the Bitcoin culture and maybe other altcoins didn't have this kind of start. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, that it's, it happened basically because uh, Bitcoin has much uh, much more time for developing all these open source world technologies ideas and um, as I uh, said before, other blockchains trying to work faster and it leads to centralization and uh, people are working not for idea because for idea you can't work really fast. I mean, you, you will work as maybe 10 developers because you'll be more focused on your ideas, but still you're not going to have enough time for that compared to company that can hire you know, 10 developers, uh, 100 developers to do the same. And it's an organized process. So it's hard to compete with them. Mm, but yeah, I believe that people who focus on their ideas and beliefs and uh, working towards some, some goal they, they see, uh, maybe only them see it. Uh, it's, it's better for, for blockchain, for decentralized blockchain, and it leads to the current position of for Bitcoin. Uh, it has some forks, you know, and none of them as much centralized and has some, you know, core principles, ideas, vision. Um, independent from blockchain, like, I mean, driven by community or by developers, something. So, uh, so they it's much harder for them to, to develop something similar, this open infrastructure around, uh, around blockchain. Not necessarily wallets, open source code, but some, you know, a way how anyone can, can participate, can join community, do something useful and leave it anymore. Yeah, right. Also, there is the argument about Bitcoin having the immaculate conception as you had the completely decentralized project with, with no pre-mines. Mm -hmm. And I guess very few other projects can claim to have such, such a development early on. I think even Ethereum had a big pre-mine. And now ETH, the Ethereum foundation side, has some issues with the monetary policy where they allowed the supply to increase to a greater extent than it was initially planned. And that's not something that 
is going to happen to Bitcoin as the people who hold on to it and the people who mine it understand that it has value specifically because they agree with the initial rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that Bitcoin, uh, 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 cryptocurrency shouldn't have any pre-mine. Uh, it changed in, just from the start. We changed that. Uh, distribution of power. Uh, I mean, you can mine, uh, but you have the same rights as others. So, initial developers of Bitcoin, they kind of pre-mine because they the only ones who, who know how to do that. And they just use this chance to, to pre-mine. But the, it's, it happened only because they believe in the future of the technology, so they start to use a computer power to mine Bitcoin, but it wasn't like, you know, as some other altcoins just put in gene this block and distribution of coins like it happened to Ethereum when they distributed uh, almost 70% of, of all circulating coins uh, to some initial investors and team and, and so on and foundation. Uh, that's, I don't know, it's just too much. It's crazy. Yeah, and you said that the initial developers of Bitcoin were also the earliest miners and maybe that they had this kind of unfair advantage, but at the time they had no idea it would even reach $1 per Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when Laszlo Hanyets, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but when he ordered pizzas with Bitcoin, he actually gave it value as opposed to just thinking, okay, we have the, these coins which you can get by running this client, and what can you do with them? Well, we can establish a market, but what can you actually buy? And it was very philosophical in this regard in the early days when even Satoshi was trying to explain how Bitcoin can be used. So it's very different right now. Like maybe that grin is the latest pure project which doesn't have a pre-mine and tries to be as fair as possible and even the developers of Grint have difficulties trying to break even with their finances but even in its case there was a lot of it just entered the market in a point where there's a lot of investors and there there's a lot of speculation and you could see within the first few days that it went to ten dollars or something Whereas in the case of Bitcoin, it took uh, like five years to get to five to ten dollars. Mm, well, I don't know actually how how. I think longer, how many years? I don't know. But yeah, you're right about green. Um, yeah, they they doing everything right. I, I think so. No pre mine, no foundation, uh, no these public figures, uh, leaders, CEO, or anything like that. Distributed team, everything is. Just right, uh, uh, but they attracted some venture investors or just investors. I don't know who mined it, who bought some coins, and I I don't think it's a problem because we live in a different uh, time now, not Bitcoin. Now everyone understands this value of this decentralized coin, so uh, they they got the price 
the value just from first days, and that's fine. It's um, it's it's not a problem, I think. So everyone sees this value in this development, and it will help in the technology. Right, and I think it's so unique to have this phenomenon, which comes apparently out of nowhere. Depends on where you stand. If you just look at the financial crisis, you're going to say, okay, Bitcoin is the response to that. But if you look at the history of cypherpunks and all the other attempts to create something like Bitcoin, you'll see that maybe that B money by Wei Dai was close to Bitcoin. And also Nick Sabo's Bitgold was also very similar. So it comes from a long tradition of innovation which happened in the United States maybe since the 1970s or something. And maybe that Bitcoin is not as cypherpunk as, let's say, Monero, as the ideal of cypherpunks was to have privacy as opposed to some money. But it's still the invention that sparked all of this phenomenon and everything that we call today the blockchain industry or the crypto market. There would be None of this without Bitcoin, and there was no way to predict that this would actually happen in the first years. So I guess that's what also makes it unique. But beyond the historic value, it's interesting that the most brilliant of developers, or at least the most committed of them, have stuck to Bitcoin as opposed to migrating to other VC-funded projects, which might have paid them a little better. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting moment about developers. Um, so we, we talked about this, about uh, believing in ideas, in ideas uh, or just working and having a job. It's um, so different ways of, ways of doing something. And when you believe in something, it, I think you just going to be more effective on reaching your goals uh, if you know what you're doing, uh, if you understand your goals. And probably for Bitcoin, it worked well. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it's a problem because no, not everyone can afford that. And most likely, people can work just on their week weekends or evenings, and, you know, still time from family, uh, uh, it slows down the development of, of a project, definitely. And, uh, that's why it took so much time, uh, so long for Bitcoin to reach current state. Mm. I don't know, but it still allows it to be more focused. And for other blockchains, um, I don't know. You know, there is some comparison. I'm writing some book about the um, difference between cars and horses. So with a car, you can reach your final destination much faster and you can control everything. You know, you have all this, you know, uh, waves to control the car and speed and, and so on. But if you have any problems, uh, mm, I don't know, basically, you, you drive, for example, right? 
you you can drive a car, right? Because you're going to crash it. Uh, but if you use horse, maybe it's slow, but it's going to um, um, I don't know it's going to how it's called to move you to the destination, uh, basically in any state. So it's uh, maybe less effective, but you're going to reach your goal anyway. So that could be applied to all these uh, different uh, ways of organizing the development of blockchain. One one side is uh, developers who maybe not, uh, not have enough time, uh, but trying to reach their goals. Another one is uh, they don't have any goal, but just you know sitting on some office all day and developing what they say to do. Yeah, also, I remember when I read one of your blog posts about your work on ETC, you said that you developed the infrastructure which allowed a lot of exchanges to make millions of dollars by implementing the code that you wrote. And what's perplexing to me in this, so I guess we can call it an industry, is that some parties make millions of dollars, maybe billions, and they don't invest back in the protocols. So you have very unfriendly interfaces. The wallets sometimes are hard to figure out by newbies. And while some companies make a lot of money and they bring a lot of investors, they don't put enough into development. They don't put enough to hire the amount of developers required to fulfill a roadmap. Maybe in the case of Bitcoin, it's much more privileged as they have many more parties which are interested in financing the developers. But in the case of other projects, which may bring something that is interesting for Bitcoin, as we know that side chains are actually a viable solution to scalability. And I guess you are also working on, what were they called? Orbita. Orbita, yeah. They were the side chains which were scaling Ethereum. And if they ended up being created, I guess that would have been a very interesting comparison to make between ETH's sharding and proof of stake and Casper and whatnot. And on the other hand, to have a protocol which actually preserves its proof of work. Mm -hmm. um. So I didn't really get the question. So I um, was about the exchanges given back or about scalability solutions. I mean, we can talk either. Um, okay, so um, about exchanges. Um, I don't know. It, they um, they probably the, the the only business currently on blockchain. Um, and they make money, definitely make money. Some of them are giving back to developing teams. Um, maybe there, there is just, they don't have any organized process probably. And it's really unclear for, for our parties, how, how we can collaborate on working on technology. Um, I see. Um, some donations from from exchanges. Mm, 
not very big, just you know, small amounts usually. Uh, we didn't have um, much for for DCDF. We didn't have anything actually. And we talked to some exchange about uh, that. You know, everyone considered DCDF as a I don't know some profitable business. Probably nobody thought that we just you know volunteering for for uh, for blockchain. So nobody even thought that uh, they they can donate uh, any money to uh, to development. And we didn't ask, at least for our first couple of years. So when when we contact contacting uh, exchanges, yeah, you know, there is another thing actually. We have a lot of these altcoins or ICOs, which has a lot of money, like tens of millions, and they want to be listed on exchange, and they actually offer money to exchanges. Like, we're going to pay you, and you're going to list us, and we're going to, to give you a manager who is going to answer any questions, and everything, and everything, and help you with technology. So, many of uh, exchanges actually think that... Uh, a cryptocurrency will pay them for integration, not opposite. And yeah, I received a lot of requests, uh, such requests from from different exchanges, from businesses. So, yeah, why you wouldn't pay us uh, for integration, Ethereum Classic into our product or into our wallet and exchange, for instance? Or we're not going to integrate it. And nobody even thought that we simply don't have any money for that stuff. So in, in this situation, asking for money, uh, it, uh, it looks strange, at least, for most of them. Like, basically, everyone is paying us. Why we should pay you? It's, uh, it's not how it was, you know, state of the things in, in cryptocurrencies. Only Bitcoin was uh, uh, widely accepted as something decentralized, or nobody expected that Satoshi would pay some exchange to, be, to, uh, to list it on that exchange. Yeah, but this is not just about Satoshi. And I can even think of the case of Bitcoin, where the only viable solution that they found for financing developers was to establish companies like Blockstream or get the developers... Do you hear me now? Oh, yeah, I hear you. Okay. Well, this was yeah. embarrassing. It's in your side. I think so. No I suspect it might be the microphone cable or something. I, I switched to a different microphone ah. right now. But oh, okay, okay. Let me know if it stops. Yeah. So throughout the episode, did you hear me well? Uh, yeah, yeah. I heard okay, you well. Okay, so there's uh, that problem. part which has to be cut from the final version. Otherwise, the question was about the centralization of finding developers, as in you have decentralized mm -hmm. protocols, but the only model which was proven to work was where you have companies like Blockstream, which hire many mm -hmm. of the developers, or you have MIT or other academic institutions that can afford to finance this kind of research. And we didn't yet develop the kind of culture where you say, 
let's give away a small percentage of our personal profits that we have made in this particular cryptocurrency like Bitcoin so that we can finance the development. It's not really mm -hmm. decentralized in the sense that the users are financing it and have a say in the protocol. And in my book, it's much more dangerous to create companies that have too much control. I guess you have the experience with it is ETC labs or other entities that try to take over? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I actually think that in Bitcoin space, we have many companies now working on, on Bitcoin. So mm, I don't think uh, streamers. they are leading developing company, but I don't think they control uh, or can change direction of uh, Bitcoin development. Um, and I believe it's the right path. Um, I mean, um, I don't think that giving some donations from, from companies uh, will ever work. Uh, and we don't have such examples in other industries. I mean, they are developing something open source that will work on donations. Mm, it usually works uh, in kind of different way, the opposite way, like uh, companies hire someone uh, for, uh, inside the company, work in the office and everything, but works uh, uh, on some open source product that, uh, which is utilized by that business. So many banks, uh, many, um, I don't know, uh, internet companies um, hired such people. And most of the current popular open source projects are developed by, um, by these people who are getting paid for, uh, for that work by some company who is interested in, in results. So it could work for blockchain space as well. And I see it's... Uh, um, it changes in some uh, similar way in blockchain space. I see that companies are getting uh, interested in hiring people to exchanges to work not only on day on product but on uh, some products for industry itself. So I think there is a good trend for that. Right, but. I guess it's easy to draw comparisons to other open source projects that we have, like Linux or mm -hmm. Debian or other, you know, open source operating systems or maybe office solutions or whatnot. But at the same time, these products are not in themselves currencies that have a market value. They, they actually gain value by becoming useful. And in the case of Bitcoin, you have an asset which has a market valuation. It's very clear how much you're making by investing in its development. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, it's easier, maybe it's more clear uh, how to play the same for, uh, for blockchain, for cryptocurrencies. But still, speaking about business, uh, it, they, they make money on some, they, I don't know, they, uh, own business operations, not on uh, uh, cryptocurrency as some, something existing, some, something that just works. So 
it's still the same way as it was as it's sponsored by other companies. So they make money on, on working on some product, even if it has some value, if it's a currency, um, they profits uh, made from operations. And uh, it's maybe easier for some you know, smart contract blockchains to distribute these earnings to developers probably. And so we even have uh, some blockchains, some cryptocurrency with this uh, developer fees. Uh, you know, if you operate, if you send something, part of it goes to developers. Um, it still needs some centralization, but yeah, it's probably closest to what we're talking about, about distributing parts of your income to, to developers. But it's not necessary in, in uh, transfer. It could be different business, right? It could be uh, authorization. Uh, blockchain is really good for identities, uh, authorization, and it's not necessary uh, relates to currency itself. But you still make money on doing, by doing that. By not resources, whatever. Yeah, it's actually interesting because I remember reading a tweet by Vitalik Buterin where he was speaking of imposing some kind of taxation of one die for every wallet developer. And it's interesting that when you first started with cryptocurrencies, you basically oppose anything which is centralized and which is planned in this way. And this kind of imposed socialism that you have on a protocol or on an open source project. And the counter for that kind of measure is that you can easily just fork the project and remove that taxation. And the users are going to migrate onto the project which is economically best for their interests. So if they dislike that kind of taxation, they're going to just not use the wallet which uses it. In the case of Bitcoin and maybe in the case of Ethereum Classic, you have this mindset that you have to basically resort to donations. It's all about the open market and trying to demonstrate your value to everybody out there and trying to prove to them why it's important to invest in you. Mm -hmm. I maybe there's a different it, way. It would be much more decentralized if users agreed to make small contributions which kept the projects afloat as there would be no individual pressure or corporate pressure on the developers. And we have the precedent of Segwit2x with current Bitcoin core developers who more or less were silent about helping the development or reviewing the code just because they were in good terms with people who are behind the New York agreement so they, they just went on and they made sure that if that project happens, at least it has a proper review. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I think about the wallets, it's actually a big problem. Uh, so right now I switched to work on um, wallets and disintegration integration infrastructure. And it's, yeah, it's a big problem for world developers because everything expected to be open source, everything expected to be free, and the users are not going to 
I don't know, uh, pay some fees as they do, as they pay to bets, right? Um, but I still believe that um, that's the only way to, um, to develop uh, blockchain or something is, uh, so first of all, make technology useful uh, for some businesses and for yourself, and then build on top of this. So you're becoming a leader of that market because you know technology, you can leverage technology, not because you have some advantage, uh, technological advantage, but you have experience advantage. So you know how to use the technology in the right way. So you can do something better than others and use that advantage to build your business, something profitable for your company. That's probably a way to, to work on blockchain and that's basically what I, I want to do currently with my new business. Um, and I forgot the short part because about uh, Segwit2x. <laughs> mm, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's where I think it's a political topic. And I'm not really familiar with Segwit. I was looking at this. Mm, I was very busy with Stream Classic, first of all, at that moment. So I was look, looking uh, from that side, what's going to happen with Segwit tweaks, and I didn't really have any opinion. Uh, but for me, it showed actually what, how community is important for Bitcoin. So community basically decided that it was, you know, kind of, uh, it wasn't about uh, increasing block size, I, I think. Uh, but it was about um, taking control of Bitcoin. If some corporates can can get control of it, or communities to control it. So community won, and uh, and we still have the same Bitcoin. Right. Usually, people agree that in ten years from now, we're still going to have Bitcoin as it's the most decentralized, the most developed project that we currently have. And there seems to be a recurring trend which says that altcoins are going to get grained and eventually disappear, just like the altcoins that we had back in 2012, like PureCoin, like I, I guess I can name a few more, but <laughs> nobody talks about them anymore. It, there was also Namecoin. Who knows anything about Namecoin in 2019? It's a dead yeah. project. And many uh, of the projects that we have right now, and I can speculate, I guess, about EOS and maybe Tron, which are mostly about marketing but don't really deliver anything special, they're not going to be as big 10 years from now. Maybe they will disappear. And the market will just converge towards maybe two or three projects. And do you believe that we're going to have Sun Money, a smart contracts platform, and maybe a privacy coin or something in this line? Mm, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to have many cryptocurrencies. So it's just no reason for that. Maybe some, you know, corporate coins, uh, it makes sense probably for some, I don't know, some online game, uh, something like that. Um, just optimized for some business or maybe country-specific coins like that, maybe some stable coins, 
uh, or, I don't know, coins uh, associated to tie to some, some stocks, some businesses, that also makes sense. But as a currency, as a global cryptocurrency, we're going to have one or two, maybe three of them. Uh, so probably a Bitcoin as a you know, digital gold, maybe some, um, some privacy coin. I'm not sure which one. Uh, I, I believe in green. Um, there is also yeah, competing Zcash and Monero. Um, I don't know which one is going to win. But I, I think that we need uh, private coins. In for, and actually, I think we need it more than Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is it's really good for, uh, for holding, for savings. Uh, but for uh, daily operations, um, if we have Lightning Network, but it still lacks of some, um, some things that we usually expect and, and lacks privacy. So, so uh, maybe we're going to have some side chain or I don't know, payment channel on top of Bitcoin with privacy enabled. Maybe uh, Bitcoin will, will adopt some privacy and yeah, it will change everything. Or maybe we're going to have a secret cryptocurrency just for privacy, for daily operations, when you just pay for something to friends or shop or online and you don't want to share your, you know, your account information and your history of payments as you do right now with visual payments on Bitcoin. And maybe we need some uh, blockchain. I'm not sure about cryptocurrency, but we probably need some blockchain to... Uh, for the for running decentralized applications, kind of smart contracts, but not smart contracts as Ethereum uh, developing for uh, for digital files uh, for money. Uh, it basically their focus. I thinking about smart contracts for for making uh, agreements, not between even people, but between applications in some decentralized way. Some application that can live uh, just in blockchain and can be used from blockchain for autonomous applications. So we probably need such kind of blockchain as well. Uh, and I don't see any blockchain that can fill this niche right now. Ethereum probably is closest one, but it lacks a lot of, a lot of features. And they focus on digital finance, on ICOs, on money, and everything, everything, just, you know, changing the the direction in a wrong way, I think. But I mean, they they have different opinion, obviously. Right. It's still difficult to predict anything, as the market dynamics just prove to us how hard it is to make any predictions at all. But the constant that we have had in the last maybe seven, eight years has been that Bitcoin has been the king. It was the number one cryptocurrency and there's the largest amount of trust which people put into it. And the other two which were available throughout the years were Litecoin and XRP. And they have been in the top three for a long time. And then Ethereum came in 2000. When was it launched? 2015? Mm, yeah, about that, I think. I mean, that's, at least at the time. I think I, I read about it in some 14. Maybe. I, I'm not sure right now, but in, uh, in 2014, I started to get interested in that and making some experiments, but 
no, it, it, uh, it was just basically ideas at that moment. It was just your way. So I'm not sure when they launched. But yeah, by end of 2015, uh, they already have something, as you remember. Yeah, because yeah, I was playing with technology already. Right. So you had these projects which have been prominent in the space, and they all delivered something unique in their own respect, maybe except for Litecoin, which is a carbon copy of Bitcoin right now, trying to implement confidential transactions. But other than that, it served no purpose until maybe 2017. But that's not the topic of this discussion. And mm -hmm. it's difficult at this point, I guess, to step in and provide something so different and so groundbreaking that it's going to turn all heads. Maybe Grin managed to steal some attention, but it's hard to imagine how it's going to grow in the future. And some mm -hmm. people already speculate that since so many Blockstream people are involved with Grin development, it might just end up becoming a side chain for Bitcoin at some point. Um. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I hope uh, I hope Green will uh, will be one of the leading blockchains in the future. But yeah. I, I can't say anything of this actually. And as we're working, so okay, uh, I can say uh, that we are working on a cryptocurrency uh, wallet, kind of wallet. I wouldn't say it, uh, wouldn't call it wallet, uh, but. Yeah, so it's Emerald, Emerald World currently. And the cryptocurrency that we are uh, considering to use uh, to uh, give to our users uh, access to. So it's Ethereum, uh, Ethereum ETHDC, uh, but just because of historical reasons, and Bitcoin, Lightning, and Green. And also we are thinking about some uh, stable coins. Not sure which one, because I believe uh, stable coins is important as well. It gives some safety to people. Not everyone. Uh, so I mean, if we expect that people will use it in a daily basis, they not not you know hold for future. Uh, it's much easier to think uh, in uh, local currencies for most of the people. Rather than in bitcoins, which you know is pretty volatile, volatile, and everything. So I said, uh, technology that I believe in is Bitcoin, uh, Lightning, uh, and Green. Really? So you lost all faith in Ethereum? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm. I'm, I'm looking where it's going to. Uh, but I think it's um, any, I mean, ETC or ETH, they, um, they're losing their position, I think. Uh, and uh, I'm not quite sure where, where is Ethereum is moving to, all this, you know, Ethereum 2.0 and everything. Uh, it's going to be different. And it has some clear perspectives for me. So we are supporting it in, in our world, in our infrastructure right now. But um, I, I'm not sure that it will stay the same in, in I don't know, in a couple of years. Because a lot of things have changed. And um, 
squad problems in Ethereum, scalability problems, and everything which is unclear how, how it can be solved. But now I, I don't see Ethereum to zero as a scalability solution as well. So. No, it, um, it's insane how it went with so CryptoKitties, which basically yeah. filled the blocks and made the network too congested and proved the limitations of the protocol and mm -hmm. all the scalability plans. And it pushed the entire development team to find something urgent to scale. And so far, they, they even at some point discouraged developers from deploying decentralized applications on the blockchain. And they said, why mm -hmm. don't you use the testnet or try to migrate to some other platform? And they lost a lot to protocols like EOS, I guess, and like Tron, but I'm not sure how many developers actually do work for Tron. But yeah, still, they, yeah. you lose a lot when you start with may, maybe too many promises about becoming a world computer, about allowing every decentralized application to run on your blockchain. And then not even the Ethereum Foundation runs an archival node, which contains every transaction occurring on the blockchain since in, a, in mm -hmm. its inception. So uh, archive node is actually different. It's not the same as Bitcoin. Uh, so there are basically three modes on Ethereum. So you have a white node, uh, you have full node with all history, with all transactions, and archive mode with uh, additional information from the transactions, like what exactly happened. So transaction in, in Ethereum, it can contain, you know, smart contract calls and all changes related to that protocol, uh, that call. And archive node, it's basically archives of changes uh, during smart contract execution, which could be a lot of changes. And yeah, it requires a lot of resources. It requires uh, SSD drive, um, and I can I can run it on my my server. I have enough space for a kite node of Ethereum ETC, but for Ethereum ETH, it's just too much. So everyone has to rely on on Infura. I mean, for most of the businesses and most of users, you don't need a kite node. You have enough information uh, in full node, uh, but for um, if you need some additional security or you need extra information like block explorer, and I'm kind of block explorer for for QMDC currently, and you need to have archive node for that. There is no other way. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's expensive, and changing to QM to zero. I, you still you still need to have this archive not of all uh, you know so sub chains or fork shards. So it doesn't change anything for for business anyway. Right. It, it's still difficult though, as the technology is young, and people with different backgrounds step in and try to project their various visions onto the project. And even in the case of Bitcoin, it was the same with Mike Hearn and Jeff Garzik and maybe even Gavin Andreessen. When they were basically the leaders of the protocol and they were the most important and influential developers involved, they would think, I remember BIP 101, 
issued by Gavin Andreessen, which proposed to increase the block size according to Moore's law and basically double the block size according to a determined amount of time. And it actually took people to realize that it's hard to synchronize a blockchain and it's hard to make everybody update to the latest version. And even right now, when you look at the nodes being deployed on the Bitcoin network, you see that very few of them actually use the latest version. And it takes a few months until they converge towards something on which they agree that is the good version. It took mm -hmm. more than two years to adopt SegWit. So they realized, I guess, in time that hard forks are difficult. And Ethereum, I guess, has learned a few hard lessons about hard forking too often. As I remember the last time ETH had a hard fork, they had some issues and they delayed it a few times. I think it was called Constantinople. Mm, yep, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But they, mm, so yeah, they delayed uh, once, actually, mm, for like for a month. Um, but it wasn't because of some mm, adoption from miners or for, from users, because, you know, it's, it's, Ethereum is more centralized than, than Bitcoin. And uh, they jumped from, uh, from just 10 persons of network to 40 persons of network in one day. And almost sort of the network upgraded in one day, all day not. Um, I don't know how exactly it happened, but it um, uh, turns out Chain Foundation or someone has <laughs> some power uh, to say, users, you have to upgrade today. But later they found a bug in that hard fork and they downgraded again in one day from 50 persons to, to the same 10 persons. So people downgraded uh, in one day. You see, yeah, downgrade is, is different, actually. It's, um, it's, mm, it's some coordination to avoid failure. Everyone understands dangers of that. So everyone wants to upgrade to, to avoid any, any losses. But upgrade is usually a slow process. People upgrading their machine slowly, and I don't know, it takes months and months, just especially for Bitcoin. And we come through that in, uh, in Tune Classic as well. It, it was really hard to convince people to uh, miners, exchanges to upgrade their software. A lot of communications, emails, 99% uh, of emails are just ignored. I mean, we just don't have any contacts in some changes, so we just found you know, ticket form or email somewhere on the website and trying to contact them, and I guess nobody reads these emails. Right. It's never easy with these protocols and with communication and working with people who have different expectations of everything. But anyway, I was about to ask you about your personal influences and your cypherpunk idols, maybe. I, I guess the previous generation of developers was not involved in any way in this blockchain movement, but they were trying to invent something which eventually converged and materialized into Bitcoin. 
So do you have any favorite authors like Tim May or Nick Sabo, which you read with great pleasure? You know, I definitely have, but um, I don't know. I don't think uh, I should prioritize them or, I don't know, tell some specific names or something like that. I don't know if I miss someone or something. Um, I'm not sure. About titles. Okay. <laughs> Usually I, I enjoy reading stuff that was published maybe 20, 30 years ago. I remember reading something from David Chom, which was mind-blowing. He was so ahead of his time. And his vision ended up being applied into something that works maybe three decades later. But that's very impressive. Yeah. By the way, what, what do you think of David Chom's Elixir project? Um, I'm not quite sure. Like, I can, I'm not sure, actually. I read it. Yeah, don't bother to look it up, but it's still interesting to see somebody return after a few decades of silence and say, hey, I'm launching a new project. And he promises scalability, and decentralization and privacy all at the same time. Okay, yeah. Have a take a look. Yeah, some people say it's a scam and that he's trying to capitalize because he hasn't made any money from all the stuff that he published. And right now he's back trying to ride the wave of the blockchain. But, you know, you shouldn't underestimate somebody who is obviously very brilliant and is the godfather of all cryptocurrencies, has been around for longer than anyone else. Okay, okay. The, the only issue that he had was that you had to sign up to become a node and run the network. And they had very high system requirements. So you actually needed to know a lot about running network and infrastructure and you needed to have very powerful systems and then you went to complete to fulfill a KYC form and tell mm -hmm. what's your name, where you're based and how much you're planning to run the node and that's so anti-cypherpunk mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah. I didn't hear about that yeah. yeah you're a developer I guess you as a developer, you have better stuff to do as opposed to reading the news. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I am avoiding news and everything for, I don't know, since the, the hype uh, for, for more than a year, for almost two years, all this, you know, crazy things. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I was just missing what's What's going on? Like, uh, well, at the point of all these things that happen in a lot of new projects and everything, everything, uh, mostly meaningless. Yeah, I right. stopped to go to any meetups or, any, or anything because it was, you know, filled with just people who um, was asking questions like, yeah, what, you know, shitcoin to buy it, to earn a lot of money. Crazy times. Yeah, I guess that's also a discussion that we should be having. As in, 
we have different waves of adoption. And at first it was just geeks and nerds and maybe Austrian economists who saw the potential in Bitcoin. And then you had another wave of liber libertarians who also trusted the economic side and the technical side, but also saw their opportunity to make some money. And maybe this wave consists of people who became billionaires like Barry Silbert and Eric Voorhees and others. And then you had this whole speculation wave, which coincided maybe with the ICO bubble. And you mm -hmm. had people just stepping in, finding out about projects that went maybe 1,000x in a few months. And they were just looking for a great opportunity to maximize their investment. Mm. I'm not sure which group I belong to, actually, because uh, I was interested in technology and only in technology since, I don't know, when I learned about Bitcoin many years ago. Uh, I I didn't, I think, I didn't think about mm, economics aspect. Um, it was, you know, nice technology, uh, ideas, uh, how it works and everything. And I, I, I mean, I just didn't think about you know, buying, investing, uh, something like that. Uh, I mean, I did that. I bought some Bitcoins, but not for, as an investment, but for, to play with technology, uh, to develop something and, you know, spend some way, I mean, transferring, uh, writing code, lose money and everything. But yeah, I was talking to people, to my friends uh, as developers. And so I'm like, yeah, look at this, it's Bitcoin, it's a cool new technology. And yeah, nobody believed uh, yeah, at that point, I think. Uh, but then a lot of people contacted me like two years ago in 2018. Oh, yeah, you told me about Bitcoin two years ago. And I saw the news. That's, that's really cool. Thanks. Like, why you didn't tell me more about that many years before? <laughs> um, yeah. That's funny. But, uh, I wish I would, I know, I think about economic aspect, investment aspect of Bitcoin many years ago. Yeah, it's always like this. You regret not discovering stuff earlier. Yeah, I discarded it, but I discarded it as a technology, you know. I, I even uh, bought some mining uh, stuff, uh, but I didn't even took this money from mining pool. Uh, it, for, it wasn't a point for me. It was like the whole point was, to look, yeah, what, uh, how it works, like how I can, uh, I can stop everything and so on. To me, it was a different process because I was discouraged from getting into it. I remember in 2014, I was 22. And I read about Bitcoin on Wall Street Journal. And I was in a political science department, which tends to be kind of left wing and tells you about the virtues of central banking and how it works and why it's a good idea to actually have high inflation but not very, you know, not hyperinflation, but it's a good idea to have inflationary currencies and why the gold standard was a bad experiment. And after I have been brainwashed with all these ideas, I didn't really feel like getting into Bitcoin. And it wasn't until I started making my own money and I started seeing how the tax, tax money gets wasted 
and how you actually wish that you didn't finance corrupt politicians and you wanted to have much more leverage on how society works. As in, you get a job and you pay taxes by default and then you stop and think, okay, so one third of my income is going into financing all these operations. Are they any good? Are they efficient? And then you realize that you only kind of leveraging what kind of stuff happens with your money is by voting every four years. And that's not very effective because you choose between some options which are predetermined to preserve the current system. You're, you're going to see some changes, but not very significant changes. So I actually got, became much more libertarian, and that's when I actually got into Bitcoin. But it, it was, in my case, a long process. I was too young. I was too foolish to actually get into it. I didn't even have money. I was too young. I was still in university. But I'm happy that I got here. Maybe it took me too long to get in in early 2017, like full time. But I'm satisfied. And I, I don't think I would take any other path right now. Yeah, yeah. I think the same yeah, applies to me. Yeah, something similar, I think. So when was it that you discovered Bitcoin and what was it so special about it? What intrigued you? I understand that it was the technical side, but what were you thinking that you can do with it? Oh, I don't remember exact uh, time. Mm, so just read somewhere. Mm, I, I think I brought some... Uh, uh, read some articles, something like that. I didn't uh, read the white paper like for, I don't know, first months, maybe a year. Uh, so yeah, I just started to think about technology, what it allows, right? To avoid any central party, any bank or any company and communicate, communicate directly uh, with other people, I mean, send money and change everything uh, uh, technically. And yeah, and also, so money is a power, it's another side of power. So if you're taking money from uh, people who you know, traditionally have this power, uh, they, you know, they have to work, actually, uh, for their money. Uh, otherwise, they will lose it. And I don't know, that was interesting for me, but more interesting was this. Mm, the brilliant way how it works, how it was uh, designed, uh, that it can that it can be broken by anyone. And so I I can't say I spent much time on, on Bitcoin. No, I was working on other projects. Uh, that was mostly something decentralized or uh, security related. Uh, that's probably how I found some articles about Bitcoin. And so I didn't have time for it. But I, I kept thinking about it and, you know, mentioning it was to other people. Do you hear about Bitcoin? What guys are doing? This and this. I didn't think it, I don't know, involved in some uh, multi-billion uh, project at that time. 
and slowly and slowly I was reading more and more about that. And I think it was mostly, I don't know, 2014, 15, maybe 13, like about these years. Yeah, usually when people get into Bitcoin, they use their backgrounds to project what they expect to do with it. When you have people from medical science getting into Bitcoin, they think it's some kind of way to finance in a more fair way and distributed way medical research, maybe, or hospitals. If you come from a politics side, just like me, I did political science, I was thinking of blockchain voting. And in the meantime, I discovered that it's a terrible idea and it should not be attempted. Just like online voting, which can be manipulated, blockchain voting can have flaws. And the only certain way in which we can be sure that it was voted in a specific way and nobody can interfere with it is with the paper ballot as everything else can be subject to manipulation to some extent. But I ask you just because as a developer, as a coder, I think you had some kind of ideals about Bitcoin and what it can become if you get to that point where you can actually work in it. Yeah, I was thinking about technology side, right? So I was working, you know, with distributed systems or databases, and you have such thing called cap theorem uh, when you, uh, if you work in some uh, distributed system, which means it could be, it should be uh, partition tolerant. Uh, you should choose between availability and consistency, and so that, all this uh, uh, stuff that makes a lot of problems for developing you because you have to make this choice. And uh, with Bitcoin, it, uh, technology made it just so much different. Uh, so um, I'm not even sure this uh, theorem can be applied here because um, anyway, it's, it's a hard topic. But anyway, so that's how I got interested in this. So uh, like looking how um, how distributed system uh, solves this problem of consistency of uh, uh, some agreements between parties in some in a fully distributed uh, and partition tolerant way. Uh, it was, as I said, some very unusual solution and a brilliant ideas, a lot of ideas uh, tied together, and it was working. And uh, it was clear that uh, nothing can stop it from working. Yeah, that, that's interesting. That's the kind of perspective that I could never have had. And part of me sometimes feels sorry for not trying harder with mathematics in high school. But nonetheless, I, I guess we can all bring contributions to the space and to Bitcoin, no matter where we come from and our skill set. And I've seen even artists. I'm not sure if you know Brecky Van Bitcoin or Crypto Brecky is on Twitter, and he keeps on making interesting art pieces, which are about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And he makes a lot of money out of it, and it's interesting. Okay, you can actually project your skills towards Bitcoin. You have mm -hmm. Naomi Brockwell, who is a filmmaker and a singer-artist, and she made some music videos in which she is the Bitcoin girl. And that, that was a hit. 
And it just proved that there is room for people to migrate into this community and ecosystem and do this part of advocacy of promoting what it is. And I guess this is the last part that we can do as a conversation for this, this podcast, as we have been running for over an hour. And there is a very big disconnect between this whole propaganda about what any cryptocurrency is. It happens to Bitcoin when some people say, oh, it doesn't need any development because Satoshi was this time-traveling alien who made it perfect from the beginning. And it's like a rock. It never changes. And you enter into this ideological phase where people project some kind of ideal into what Bitcoin is and what Satoshi is. And then you have the developer side which sometimes can go way too far with proposals or ideas about what can be changed. And in this regard, maybe that we can give Luke Dasher as an example, because he proposed to soft fork Bitcoin and reduce the block size, which proved to be unpopular and probably will never be accomplished. But you get to a certain point where you think too much of improvements as a developer and most of the times they're not really practical and they don't really stand water in a free market. So, yeah, the question is about the disconnect between promoters and people who build the narratives and the ideologies and the actual developers who knows what's going on. Mm, yeah, I agree there is actually a big disconnect and... Uh, it's clear for for developer that most people don't realize how technology works. Uh, I mean, they have questions, or you know, just looking on press, on Twitter, and everything. People really misunderstand everything. Uh, but <clears throat> I think it's just temporary, not even a problem, but uh, just a situation when people pay too much attention to technology itself, not. Uh, not to what technology brings, right? Like internet in, I believe, in the 80s, in 90s was, um, I mean, people are probably asking the same questions about uh, protocols, TCP, IP, HTTP, whatever. Uh, and now nobody thinks about it because they think about applications, about um, uh, websites, so uh, mobile applications that use this technology and nobody cares uh, how it was implemented uh, at technologies that protocols of internet are still involving. Uh, a lot of people are still uh, working on adding new features uh, to core protocols of internet. So we changing this um, core protocol TCP IP from version 4 to version 6 uh, and then it's a process of changing it. It takes Mm, it took already many years, and it's unclear when it's going to be finished uh, because it's really hard to change the protocol uh, behind the internet. But still, there, uh, there are a lot of work to improve uh, this technology, and there will be a lot of work uh, to improve uh, Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency in following decades. But at some point, uh, people will start talking about applications, not about protocol. Uh, about things they they actually use, uh, not heard about, uh, and developers will continue to talk about protocols. And 
right now we have this just small community and everything is mixed and everything just talking to each other in the same way and trying to find the same language and it's just confusing everyone. Right, and that's why I'm happy that I got to interview you as a developer. As many of the people who code say that, you know, coders write code and that's what they should do. They should not represent anyone's point of view. They should not project their expectations and philosophical views of the protocol. But at the same time, you end up having a lot of misinformation circulating and it's useful to actually have somebody who understands what's going on and tells us to level our expectations to a realistic degree. So thank you very much. I hope you succeed in all of your projects. And I look forward to seeing if you're right about Grin as the next big thing. Okay, thank you. And maybe we can have another interview, who knows? Yeah, sure. It will be really cool. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your time. Bye. Thank you for having me. Bye.